Um, my name is Tom. I'm one of the leaders here. Thanks for, thanks for being with us this morning. Um, David was up here last week continuing our teaching series on the book of James. He did a great, great job uh, on the verses that he was assigned. Uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So much that could be said, and um, David just boiled it down really well, gave us some practical steps, and uh, just grateful for his teaching gifts and his heart for God's word and his willingness to, to share with us. All right, I'm going to ask you to do something right now. Um, might make you a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not going to say you have to talk to somebody you don't know. If you came here with somebody, you just turn and talk to them. But I want you, I'm going to give you a discussion topic, all right? You remember the old Saturday Night Live, Linda Richmond, you know, the Iron Curtain is neither iron nor a curtain, discuss. Um, that's not it. To buy a gift off of a gift registry or Christmas list or not. Right? What's the right thing to do? If somebody registered for a gift or if they've told you what they want, is that what you're supposed to do? Or are you supposed to go and get creative and thoughtful and get in something else? Ready? Go. All right, take, take 15 seconds and wrap up that conversation. All right, did I just create rifts in a bunch of families? I'm sorry. Um, so within my household, there are two schools of thought. Um, I'm not going to tell you who represents which school. But um, there is one school of thought that says somebody registered or has a Christmas list, that kind of thing, that's what they want. They know what they want. They'd be happy if they received that. That's what you do. There is another school of thought that says, well, I, you know, I really want to put some thought and time and effort and energy into this, and you know, maybe I'll end up buying something not on the registry. So um, the conversation is ongoing. Um, but when we look back over the course of our lives, the stuff that we got that was on our registry, I mean, as we were registering for China and Crystal and stuff, we were never going to use this. I actually get kind of pumped up on Christmas when we pull it out. It's like we use, we use it once a year, right? So that's good. The registry stuff is great. Um, but our favorite gifts are the ones that weren't on the registry. And it was, it was clear that the folks who got them for us um, put in a lot of time and effort, in some, in some cases, significant financial resources. Um, so there's one side of that argument that loses kind of frequently. Um, and then, the, you know, there's the other side that likes to remind me um, that we didn't register for a TV or a video game system. 
but that's what my buddies got us for our wedding, and I loved it, so. <clears throat> um, my point in that little discussion is this, is that God's greatest gifts to us are not on the registry, right? They're things that we don't think we need. They're things that we don't think we want. They're things that maybe they're like so big or so grandiose that we wouldn't, we wouldn't ask for. But those are God's greatest gifts. And we're going to take a look at um, four or five short verses. And the, how I got to that conclusion, I looked specifically at the text. And um, if you look at just our text this morning, verses 21 through 25, the takeaway is simple. It's read your Bible, do what it says, and good things will happen. It doesn't say bad things won't ever happen, but it just says read your Bible, do what it says, and good things will happen. So if you have a short attention span, you're welcome. We're done. Um, if, however, you can hang in there with me, we're going to dig a little deeper into the subtext. And I think as we dig into this, we can learn a little bit more about how God feels about us and about the, these gifts that he's given us. And what I'm going to suggest to you this morning is that God's greatest gifts to us are a new heart for him and the Bible that teaches us how to use that new heart. Right, a new heart for him and the Bible that teaches us how to use that new heart. So let's go ahead and look at those verses. Uh, we're going to start in 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. All right, a couple of short verses. And we're just going to go through um, those kind of one piece at a time and, and break it down. So, Virginia, can you put up just 21? Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent Every, I've read this about a hundred times this week, and I struggle with prevalent every time. Prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And I highlight, highlighted humbly accept the word planted in you, because that's where I want to start. Our inclination would be to start with get rid of the moral filth and evil. Unfortunately, we can't do that on our own. Um, through experience, we learn that it's almost impossible to just will ourselves. And that moral filth and, and evil... Um, it's both internal, like the, the yuck that kind of goes on inside of us, and the external, the kind of the stuff that happens to us. Um, it's almost impossible to get rid of that on our own. So we need to start with humbly accept the word planted in you. Some translations say humbly accept or sorry, receive, right? Accept and receive. What, what other things do you accept and receive? Gifts, right? You, ex you accept, you receive gifts, people give to you. In biblical language, the word gift, one of the translations for it is charis, which also translates to grace. Grace means we just get stuff we don't deserve. It's just a gift. So the word that's in us is a gift. God makes a promise that he's going to give us this, this ability, right? The word planted in you. It's nothing that we've done. It's something that we have 
received. And the Bible is pretty consistent from beginning to end that it's God is the one who's going to start the process, he's going to sustain the process, and he's going to bring the process to completion. The process being walk with him, Christian life, whatever phrase you want to use. Um, can we put up the slide that's got the Jeremiah and the Ezekiel verses up there? Uh, I'm not going to read those, but, but both of those are Old Testament prophets, messengers of God sent to talk to his people, and the verses say that God is going to give us a new heart. He's going to take out our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. He's going to give us the ability to take in his word, to understand his word, to put his word into practice. It's all a gift. God makes the promise, gift. God supplies the word, gift. The written word and the word, like David talked about last week, the word incarnate that is Jesus, gift, right? The Holy Spirit, the person of God that comes and resides inside of us when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, gift. And when it's all said and done, eternity in paradise with him, gift. It's all about the grace of God. And we often, if you have a, a church background or if you've um, studied any of this stuff, sometimes we get confused and we think that the idea of grace and this gift is like a point in time thing. Jesus gave me the gift of dying on the cross for me. It's a one-time thing. But we need grace to start a walk of faith, to take steps 12 and 32 and 102 and 1,002. We need grace to carry us through every step of the way. One of my, um, one of my favorite authors is this guy named Dallas Willard. And he put it this way. Can we put that quote up there? The sinner is not the one who uses a lot of grace. The saint uses more grace. The saint burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff because everything they do is a manifestation of grace. So I was like, that's interesting. I kind of looked. Apparently, jets burn incredible amounts of fuel based on how much weight they're carrying, the angle, the speed at takeoff. They burn way more fuel at takeoff than they do at any other point. And what's that, what that is saying to us is that it's not just that initial... Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that gift you're giving me. But it's, Jesus, thank you for, you know, tomorrow. Thank you for this day. Thank you for working in me to not leave me where you found me. Grace is an on, ongoing, ongoing thing. Let's look at the next, um, the next couple of verses. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Deceive yourselves is what's highlighted up there. Um, and in the prior verses, you know, the, the verses said, don't be deceived, right? So that's something that happens to us. The world can try to kind of pull the wool over our eyes and, and confuse us in a thousand different ways when it comes to how we regard the gifts of God and specifically the Bible. This scripture right here is talking about how we fool ourselves, how we deceive ourselves. The word that was used there for deceive uh, was a mathematical word. It means to make a miscalculation. So a couple of different ways that I think as we look, kind of contemplate the idea of this mirror analogy, that we make a, a miscalculation. We look in the mirror, and then um, we just kind of give a cursory, a cursory look. And as I was thinking about this, I'm like, this is, you know, the year 30. They probably don't didn't have, and I looked up and I verified it, the mirrors weren't like our mirrors, like where it's an exact duplicate. 
they were made of bronze and they were polished or some other metal that could be polished. And it was kind of like a fuzzy, a fuzzy image. So if you didn't stop and look carefully what was there, you would miss something. Right? So the first way that we would deceive ourselves is that we just pick up the Bible and we read it like, good, check, I read my Bible today. If we allow the Bible to read us, get inside of us, take some time with it, it will change us from the inside out. Absolutely. God wants to change you into the person that he created you to be. All right. Um, so another way we deceive ourselves is the idea of, like, I'll get to it later. And this is, if, if Gail is not home, this is, like, a huge thing I stumble into all the time. Like, look in the mirror, I'll miss a spot shaving. Oh, yeah, I'll get to it. And I walk out of the house, I'm, like, in the car on the way to a meeting. I didn't do it. Got a huge spot on my shirt, I'll change my shirt, running around trying to get ready. I didn't do it, right? Don't, same things are true with the Bible. If you're reading the Bible and God presses something on you, like, oh, wow, I really need to do something about that relationship. I need to do something about that habit. Or I need to do something about the time that I spend with God. Don't say, oh, I'll get to it. Because you won't. The James... um, what one of the commentators said was, for the people who had mirrors back then, they were probably rich, wealthier to afford the mirrors. Other people didn't, didn't see the mirrors that frequently, so they would just forget, and they would not take care of it until later. James is basically saying that people are, if you're wealthy, you're either stupid or forgetful, right? That, so I'm, I'm not suggesting here anybody's stupid or forgetful. I'm just... The, that was the, what, the message that he was trying to, to relay to folks is that stop, take the time. If you feel like God is saying something to you, stop and figure out what, what you're going to do about it. The last way I feel like we can deceive ourselves, um, carrying through this mirror analogy, is that it's a mirror analogy, right? Don't fall into the comparison game. It's not a window and it's not a picture, right? We don't look out the window and be like, at least I'm not that guy over there. Or holding up you know, a picture of something else and having like a false sense of like, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing good. You be your own benchmark. What is your relationship with Jesus like today as it was compared to yesterday? Where do you want it to be tomorrow? And as you spend time in the Bible, and God raises those things, thankfully, like we're saying, he is gracious, and he doesn't raise them all at once. I've used this mental picture before from, like, cartoons when I was a kid. Like, if God tried to address everything with my character that needed to be addressed at once, it would be like one of those cartoon characters that got hit with a frying pan and just shatters into a million pieces. It would be too much to deal with, but God is gracious, right? Okay, I'm going to deal with that. God, you're putting it on my heart. I'm reading it in scripture. Somebody brought it up in a conversation. I heard a song. I need to pay attention to what you're saying. So we don't treat, we don't treat the Bible as something to be checked off a list. We don't treat the Bible as something, oh, I'll get to it later. That was a really good idea, but I'll, I'll get to it later. And we don't use it as a point of comparison for anything other than ourselves. Right? It's, God, it's God's gift to us And the way we treat gifts is a really good indication of how we feel about the giver 
and how we feel about the gift itself. So really quick example, a few years ago, my dad started sending us a giant cooler box of Omaha steaks for Christmas. This thing in my house, I mean, this is, there's like, you know, 30 or 40 pounds of meat in there. It lasts about 10 days in my house, right? We appreciate that gift. We use that gift. We enjoy that gift the way it was, well, maybe not the way it was meant to be. Maybe we overindulge a little bit, but anyway, um, right? The way you treat a gift is a good indication of how you feel about the one that gave it to you and how you feel about the gift itself. All right, let's move on to the next verse. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. First thing, what the Bible is not. The Bible is not God's physical representation of, I am a cosmic buzzkill. I do not want you to have any fun. That is not what the Bible is. The Bible is neither antiquated nor irrelevant. There is nothing that you will face that you cannot find some guidance in the pages of, of Scripture. Um, and it is also not a power play by those in power who are trying to stay in power. Have people misused and abused the Bible? Yes, absolutely. But that's why we don't worship people. We worship Jesus and we study his word. He's a gift to us. His word is a gift to us. So what is it? As I was reflecting on this and studying, one of the authors suggested that the perfect law that gives freedom is the Old Testament ethic as captured in the pages of the Old Testament as taught, modeled, and altered by Jesus. So the Old Testament had 600 plus laws that were supposed to be, that were supposed to be followed. And they kind of became like this weight that religious leaders heaped onto people that they had to carry. And it got to the point where they, would, they just couldn't, they couldn't do it, so they would just kind of make themselves look good on the outside. They would do whatever they could to give the appearance that they were tracking with these laws. But in reality, on the inside, nothing could be, could be further from the truth. So Jesus comes along, and he fulfills every one of those laws. He meets them to a T. There's not one of them that he doesn't, he doesn't address and take care of. And then he lives this perfect life, and as he's teaching and modeling, he takes the emphasis, and he, he, he takes these laws that were supposed to direct people and how they're to interact with God and how they're to interact with each other, and he brings it back to that. And he brings it back to this internal thing, right? What, if you think about something that's in the Bible, how does that affect what's going on inside of you? And if you allow Jesus into that and the change happens internally, the external change automatically happens. It's really easy to change what's going on on the outside and the inside still be all gross. That's a theological term, gross on the inside. Um, all right, so that's the perfect law that gives freedom. Next slide. They will be blessed in what they do. <clears throat> so if we take Jesus' example and we read the Bible and we do what it says and we take it in, into, into heart, we take it to heart, we'll be blessed in what they do. 
yes, the pages of Scripture teach us about salvation and an eternity with Jesus. However, this is talking about practical, day-to-day living, right? That if we follow what Scripture says, we'll be blessed in what we do. Um, James borrows, magnifies, echoes a lot of his big brother Jesus' teachings, especially the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at Matthews chapter 5 through 7, you'll see a lot of similarities between what Jesus taught there and what James is teaching in his, in his short book. Um, give you a little insight into how goopy my mind can be sometimes. I had this image of James and Jesus having their first kind of interaction in heaven after James dies. And uh, they're just kind of looking at each other and Jesus like raises an eyebrow at him. James is like, what? Oh, the Sermon on the Mount thing? Yeah, it was really good. I, just, I felt like they needed to hear it again. Like, you know how, you know, they can be knuckleheads, repeat your stuff. Anyways, um, to be blessed in what they do. So we're going to take a look at the end part of that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, uh, it's like verse 24. Nope, not that one. One back. Nope. Did I not put it in there? Okay, so... The story, I'm going to find it real quick, of the wise builder is in Matthew chapter 7, and I think it's like verse 24 where it starts. Sorry, be right there. Hang on, here we go. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Again, practical, right? If you have a contractor, if you're a contractor and you build a house well on a strong foundation, it provides certain practical benefits. It's warm, it's safe, it's private, it's a place for you to welcome people into, right? There are very practical benefits to building a house well. In the pages of scripture, there are very practical benefits to following the encouragements and the suggestions and the, you know, that's not a great idea. You shouldn't do that. Three really quick examples. The Bible is really big on generosity and giving. Right? So if we live generous lives, what happens? There are benefits that we get from being generous. Our heart for others grows. We have an increased capacity to love other people. Right? We, are, we are freed to the perfect law that gives freedom, right? We are freed from the fear. I don't, if any of you guys are in the stock market, the last two weeks have been a little rough. When we give away, when we give to God, we are freed from the fear of what's going to happen in our investment. Scripture is pretty clear, and it tells us that what you give to God, he's going to take and he's going to multiply, and he's going to use it beyond what you could ask or imagine. Um, and you're, if you live a generous life, it's kind of like I use the analogy of a sponge. A sponge can only hold so much water until it's emptied out. 
and then it can receive, it can take more water in. If you live a generous life, if you are a giving person, you will always have room in your life to receive from God. How about prayer, right? Practical benefits of prayer. You will never be lonely. You will have divine companionship. You will never lack guidance. Again, divine guidance, omnipotent guidance. You will have access to divine power. And again, this, this idea of freedom, right? Freedom, the capability, the potential to be free of things like fear and anxiety. When we can have an ongoing conversation with the God of the universe, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, practical benefits of praying. Um, those are two things we should do, right? How about something we shouldn't do? Bible says that God created sex to be good. He created sex to be good within the confines of marriage. I mean, there's some obvious practical, like no sexually transmitted diseases kind of stuff, right? Health benefits. How about some of the other things, the other benefits? How about your self-image? How about feeling good about yourself for who you are rather than what you do for somebody? How about freedom? Here's that freedom thing again. Freedom from the fear of that person not calling you or texting you or that person not being there when you wake up the next morning. God created sex to be good and enjoyed in a lifetime of marriage where you can grow in intimacy with your husband or your wife. Practical benefits of doing the things the Bible says we should do, said things we shouldn't do. It wasn't meant to be a weight like it turned into in the Old Testament. Virginia, now we can put up that Matthew 11. There we go. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guys, I know some of you are exhausted. And I want to suggest to you, I just, I want you to think about maybe changing the way you approach the gifts of God. The idea that he has a new heart for you. The idea that the things that he says in his Bible are for you and for your good. And that it's not meant to be a heavy weight that you have to carry. Doing the things that God asks us to do in the Bible are what you were created to do. And when you live the life that you were created for, it's all upside. It's all upside. Virginia, what's the next slide? All right, this is the last part. We'll come down the home stretch, I promise. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, looks intently. This idea of looked intently, I didn't go in order here on purpose because I wanted to end with this. It's kind of like <clears throat> the, the, the word picture that comes from this phrase is like a, child, a young child that finds something, walking along maybe on the ground, whatever, and just the, the, the focus and the enthusiasm with which they approach this, they, they pick it up and they stare at it and they turn it over and they ask lots of questions and they look to see if there's more. And one of, one of my sons, I won't identify which one, but he would like, 
he would go for these walks and he'd come back with what I thought was a pocket full of trash. But it was just the stuff, like a broken pencil or an old beat up baseball card. It was just stuff and he, he wanted to hang on to it and he would like ask about it and want to go back and see if there was more. That's the way we need to approach the Bible. We need to slow down and look intently. Turn it over. Ask questions. If God is, is, you feel like God is pressing something on you, see what else he has to say about it. Dig in to the pages of that book. And now, with today's technology, we could spend a really long time talking about all the different ways we could do that. Um, different versions of the Bible online, listen to the Bible. You could, you could hear from the greatest teachers in the world by, by going online and just clicking, you know, ser search sermons that you want to hear. The pages of Scripture give us an idea of where I want to start, and we're going to close our time with, with this. Um, in Joshua 1.8, Virginia, do we have that one? Talks about the idea of meditating on Scripture. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So um, there's lots of talk. Meditation is actually a really popular thing right now, and it takes kind of different forms. This meditation is filling your mind with Scripture, filling your mind with, the, with things about God, with his character, with what he wants us to do, with how he thinks our life should be lived. And the word meditate actually means mutter, right? So quietly you turn, that, you turn those verses over in your head, over and over and over. And then maybe, maybe God will highlight a word for you, and you just kind of turn that word over and over and over, and you ask the quiet, small, still voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you're looking at that scripture. And I would suggest to you, um, there's lots, of, like, it's really good to memorize big chunks of scripture. But in terms of meditating, I would encourage you to, to pick a small, a small chunk. Something that you could read over multiple times. Um, so we're actually going to do that right now. Mar Marvin's going to um, come up. And could we put up the Hebrews verse? Yep. It's a verse about grace and how we can approach God and how his grace comes through for us. So not, no words to the song. Marvin's just going to kind of lay some sound down underneath it and um, just take some time with this verse. Just read it. Think about the gifts of God. Think about how gift God has given you a new heart. Think about how God has given you the Bible so you would know what to do with that new heart. So sit, be still, you want to close your eyes, close your eyes, read the verse, open your eyes, close them, but just take advantage, we're carving out just a couple of minutes to spend some time with this verse and meditate on it. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace, for the grace that saves us, the grace that sustains us, and the grace that brings us home to you. Um, it's all a gift. Help us to have that mindset, God, if we don't 
please be at work in our hearts and minds that we would know your character is good and that you are for us and that the words of your book, the Bible, are meant for our good and for your glory. May we be the kind of people that live those things out. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Hey, so a couple of quick, like, application kind of things for you. Virginia, is there one more slide? Read a little bit every day. If you guys go to crossroadct.info, the very first card you'll see right there is the notes from today's message. And these things are down the bottom. That daily devotional from YouVersion is a link. Click it, and it will take you to a short devotional that you can do for each day. It's a, it's a small piece of scripture and some thoughts that go with it. Meditate. Again, on that site, there's a link to a great article on the Gospel Coalition website, and it's got some instruction on how to meditate on scripture. And then finally, um, be doers of the word, right? The short version of this is read the Bible, do what it says, good things happen. Philippians 4.8 talks about the things we should be thinking about. Read that verse and think about those things. Again, crossroadct.info, and those things are right there. All those links are clickable for you. A couple reminders before we send you out the door. Um, please get signed up for the Great Thanksgiving Project. We need people to distribute food. We need people to pray. And we need um, some Spanish translators. And also get signed up for our raking project, November 10th, November 17th. We need help doing that. You guys are awesome. Love you. See you next week.